0: We are less than a week away from Chicago inaugurating a new mayor and a new city council that's younger, more progressive, and more diverse than ever. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The council will also have some familiar faces and new positions of power. Southside Alderman Pat Dowell is expected to be named chair of the Finance Committee. She was a staunch supporter of Mayor Lightfoot, who decided to back Brandon Johnson in this year's election. To find out more about the priorities for this new council, we talked to 35th Ward Alderman Carlos Ramirez-Rosa. He'll be the city council floor leader and chairman of the Zoning Committee. Alderman, you've said that you will push for, quote, equitable development that benefits all neighbourhoods. What does that look like to you?
1: Well, for me, it means attracting record investment, not just to the central business district, which we absolutely have to continue to do, but also making sure that neighborhoods on the south side, the west side, the northwest side, the southwest side, see investment that is so desperately needed. And I know that that is at the core of Mayor Brandon Johnson's agenda to address the tale of two cities that has gone unaddressed for too long.
0: Mm. One of the biggest challenges there is is, um, promoting development without driving residents, especially lower income people, out of neighborhoods that they've been living in for a long time, decades in many cases. Are there any good models out there, Alderman, that you could point to for how to do that?
1: So one of the things we've worked on in the 35th Ward, which I'm very proud to have represented for the past eight years, is development without displacement. How do we ensure that we are attracting new residents while also protecting longtime residents, particularly those that are vulnerable? And what we have honed in on is a set of policies that protect working class families while at the same time ensuring that we are building and welcoming new businesses. One of those policies is community driven zoning and development Uh, through that inclusive, democratic, transparent process In the 35th Ward, we've made sure that new residents, longtime residents, developers, community stakeholders all come together to discuss good zoning and land use policy in the community. Out of that policy, we've built 100% affordable housing developments right next to the Logan Square Blue Line stop. Mm -hmm. We've been able to accomplish community benefits agreements that ensure that new businesses that are opening up pay living wages and invest back into the neighborhood. So I think when you bring stakeholders together, Mm -hmm. you can have conversations that lead to win-win situations.
0: Let's talk more about Logan Square. Big part of your ward, of course. The neighborhood's changed so dramatically over the last decade or so, right? what else can be done you you think to to ensure that more long term residents aren't pushed out?
1: Well, one of the things that we desperately need is just cost for eviction. That's a policy that will make sure that longtime residents can't just be, you know, kicked to the curb Mm. uh, and pushed out of a rental unit from one day to the other. Um, That is a policy that other cities have adopted successfully uh, that has led to housing stability. Another policy as well is building more affordable housing. We desperately need more units uh, that are accessible to working-class people, and we need to continue to build those types of developments in neighborhoods that are facing major displacements pressure like Logan Square. And then we also need to protect uh, what some people call gentle density, our two to four flats. In the city of Chicago, two to four flats are the greatest single source of naturally occurring affordable housing to working families. These two to four flats, they are historic. They are central to what it means to grow up in a Chicago neighborhood. And so we need to enact policies to help protect those two to four flats so that they're not deconverted to single family homes.
0: Mm. In Long Square, I'm assuming rent prices are up?
1: Rent prices are going up. They're going up across the city. They're going up across this nation. Now, they're going going up slower in Chicago in comparison to other markets. But nonetheless, our families are suffering. Um, So I think that, you know, many people have discussed rent control. That is something that I personally support and have fought for. Unfortunately, that requires a change in state law. Um, so it's not something that the city of Chicago could enact on its own.
0: Something else you, you fought for, this was a plan to penalize developers for tearing down buildings near the popular 606 trail um, to build new ones, right? You had hoped that this could slow gentrification in Logan and, and the nearby neighborhoods. Remind us of the details of that
1: proposed Sure. Plan. So penalized was the word used by uh, reporter Fran Spielman, um, who I love and appreciate, but I wouldn't use that word. Okay. Um, we need to protect two to four flats. And one policy that has been put in place in other parts of the nation is a demolition impact fee. Because when you demolish that two to four flat building and you put up a single family home that has a negative impact on the environment, it has a negative impact on rental prices, it has a negative impact on our schools, on our businesses, because our schools and businesses need students. They need customers in order to thrive. Um, So we don't want to replicate suburban development in the heart of Our urban settlement, right? We want to promote policies uh, that uh, lead to thriving commercial corridors and to, uh, you know, uh, school buildings that are full. So to that end, in uh, the Logan Square community, for many years now, an organization called Palenque Logan Square Neighborhood Association has been fighting for this demolition impact fee. And we were successful in putting up a pilot program in portions of Logan Square around the 606, where we said, one, if you got a two to four flat, under the zoning policy, you can't deconvert it down to single family home. Okay, but two, if for whatever reason you are able uh, to deconvert the building or to knock it down, then uh, for every unit that's lost, you have to pay five thousand dollars. That goes to the community land trust to then help make up for the loss of affordability. So it's not a penalty. It's simply recognizing that there is an impact that occurs when you demolish currently existing units. So we want to increase the number of units. We don't want to decrease the number of units that are available to our families. So this policy has been extremely successful. Uh, We are currently working with the Department of Housing to continue to assess this policy and figure out what are the next steps to strengthen this policy to protect those two to four flats and to protect what many people call that middle housing, right? We have single family homes. We have big skyscrapers. Then we have this middle housing, right? The two flats, the three flats, the four flats. And a lot of cities... Those units are missing. Those types of developments are called the missing middle. So what happened? We have it here in Chicago. It's about protecting what we
0: have. So what's the status of this? What happened with this proposal? So
1: the the pilot was implemented. Uh, It was extended. It's currently being studied. And uh, in the coming year, we're going to have to look at uh, are there tweaks that need to be made? Uh, or are there measures that need to be taken to so strengthen the policy? So there's still discussion happening
0: around yes. it. Yes. So the so, policy
1: is in place around the 606, and we're going to continue to look at it and see if it needs to be expanded or uh, or further uh, strengthened.
0: Right. Yeah, because certainly, I mean, you, you you have to start somewhere, but w- it would be nice to see that elsewhere, right, spread throughout the city. You will be heading up the, the, the zoning committee now, so I'm assuming you're going to have much more power to, to influence whether plans like this do get off the ground, right? Is there is that specific plan... Um, It's still something that it sounds like you want to see this happen.
1: So, um, you know, the city council on March 30th put forward a proposal uh, to reorganize the city council for the coming term. Now, legally, the new council has to decide what that structure is going to look like. Yeah. Um, But the council put forward a proposal on March 30th. Uh, with the expectation that once we knew who the mayor would be on April 4th, that the mayor would have input. So the proposal that has now been landed on by the mayor and the city council, uh, which has been dubbed uh, the unity uh, council reorganization plan, that plan is 80% of what the council proposed. The council said, we want more committees. This plan does that. The council said, we want parity. We want racial diversity. This plan is more diverse uh, And more broad than the proposal that passed uh, or was uh, proposed on March 30th. Um, And uh, the 20 percent that changed, that's the mayor's input. Um, And what does that input do? It brings the council organization more in alignment with the policies that he was elected to enact Uh, more progressives in key committee uh, chairmanships, for example, uh, myself moving to the zoning committee. So it is uh, truly a a wonderful, I think, a great thing for our city to see the council and the mayor come together to say we're going to work collaboratively together. Uh, We're going to have a diverse city council that truly represents the entire city of Chicago Mm -hmm. and is going to have some historic firsts in terms of committee chairmanships. And we're going to work to get things done to improve the lives of the people of this great city.
0: Yeah, I want to talk just more about gentrification because it's such a powerful market force in in cities all across the country, not just here in Chicago. People with more means kind of just moving where they can afford more, right? And it's forcing lower income people out. Very much a systemic issue, Alderman. Is there something big, though, like something comprehensive that you think Chicago can do to ensure that this city and, and just each of our neighborhoods... That they can be a home for everyone.
1: Yeah. You know, we don't want to repeat the ugly history of segregation in this city. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the nation. And unfortunately, what we have seen with displacement is that neighborhoods like Logan Square that currently have diversity or neighborhoods like Albany Park or Rogers Park, they begin to be resegregated, right? Right as we lose migrant families, as we lose working-class families. There is no silver bullet. There is no single thing that we can do. It takes a whole host of policies. And I think that those are the policies in my new role as a zoning committee chair, uh, as a leader in this progressive movement. Those are the policies I'm going to be working with collaboratively with all stakeholders to move forward. How do we strengthen community land trusts to make sure that we have properties uh, that are held collectively by the community? That... are uh, continue to provide an affordable option for families for years to come. Property tax reform, of course, that's going to require the county and the state, Mm -hmm. but that's another major uh, displacement pressure that our families face. Building more affordable housing, building more market rate housing. There's no question that the city of Chicago absolutely needs more housing. Um, But it also comes down to good jobs, right? You need to have a good paying job in order to be able to put a roof over your head. So it's going to take a whole host of policies uh, to address the issues of displacement in our communities, but I just feel so So good that we have a mayor, we have a council, and now we have a council committee structure that lends itself to working with every stakeholder in the city to move forward those policies to make sure that we're moving towards housing as a human right.
0: So I want to continue that excitement you just (laughs) shared a moment ago. I I mentioned the council is becoming uh, younger more progressive, more diverse, right? Uh, record number of Latinos and Latinas are going to be on this new council, uh, as well as Asian-American representation this time around. Uh, As Block Club Chicago recently reported, the highest percentage of LGBTQ plus members of any similar body in the country as well. So what does all that mean for you?
1: Yeah, lesbian, gay, bisexual, uh, queer, older people will now be uh, nine total. Uh, That is a historic high. Uh, We went from two Latinas on the city council to six. And one of those Latinas uh, is going to serve as a committee chair. That is a historic first. Mm. Um, And we also... Um, have a record number of progressives that are serving. And these are people that were in the front lines of some of the most important progressive fights. People like Angela Clay in Uptown, who uh, was born and raised in affordable housing from a very young age, from the time she was a teenager, was on the front lines fighting for housing justice, fighting for educational justice, went on to become a leader in the nonprofit sector, organizing to improve the lives of her neighbors. And now she's the alderwoman for Uptown. And now she's going to play a central role in moving forward this progressive agenda uh, that she and Mayor-elect Johnson were elected to enact. So I'm really excited to get to work. Look, this is a big job that we all face now. And it's going to be a lot of work. Um, But I think that many hands make light work. And so having more progressives at the table with lived experience, Mm -hmm. with professional experience, uh, we're going to be able to, to get a lot of good things done.
0: At the end of March, just before that runoff election, the the city council voted to become more independent from the mayor. Uh, You called the vote symbolic, and uh, you noted that the the plan would have to be ratified later this month. So would you like to see the, the council further empowered as a legislative body? Is that what you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that um, Mayor-Elect Johnson has made it clear that he is committed to working collaboratively with the city council to hear what do people want to accomplish in their neighborhoods? What do people want to accomplish for our city? And how do we all come together to get that done? Um, You know, I think when we talk about the word independence, we have to talk about to what end. The Verdoli Act 29, the group of racist aldermen that fought Mayor Harold Washington, certainly they were independent of Mayor Harold Washington, but to what end? Mm. Um, So I I think that it's important that we think about what does good governance mean and and what does it mean to have uh, collaboration or collaborative governance, -governance co-governance in City Hall? So um,
0: Chicago has a weak mayor system, but we know that in practice it's been it's looked more like a strong mayor system. Do you see that changing under the Johnson administration?
1: Look, I think we have to come together as a city um and i know that relations between the mayor's office and the city council are going to have to change because the past four years have not been good. Mayor Lightfoot, unfortunately, has not been a good partner to the city council. Uh, so many of my colleagues did not feel heard. Um, so many of my colleagues felt disrespected. And, and so often, unnecessarily, it seems she was picking some fights. So there's going to have to be change in the relationship between the fifth floor and the city council. And the great news is, is that mayor like Johnson is an organizer. He went down to Springfield and worked with elected officials to pass record legislation to improve our public schools. He worked as a county commissioner working with Republicans and Democrats on the county board to move legislation, to move us towards uh, housing as a human right, to move legislation, to bring record investment to the south and the west sides. So he knows how to bring people together. It's how he got elected, was building a massive coalition, a massive citywide coalition uh, to overcome the money advantage that his opponent had. And he's already begun to approach his role in mm-hmm. the fifth floor in a collaborative nature. And you see that in this updated council organization plan, this unity plan. There are Vala yeah. supporters. There are Johnson supporters. There were people that were neutral. There are white folks, brown folks, black folks. There are folks from every single part of the city because he understands that it's going to take all of us to get it done. So in terms of what occurred on March 30th, the reason I called it symbolic is that the state law stipulates that it falls to the new council to organize itself. Mm-hmm. So even though the council voted On March 30th on a council plan, that was symbolic because we were always going to have to come back in the new term with the new freshmen seated, with the new uh, duly sworn members of the city council and vote on a new plan. And there was always an expectation that this was a proposal we were putting forward on March 30th once we knew who was elected on April 4th that mayor was going to have to have input. There were major questions that were left unanswered with the proposal on March 30th. How are you going to pay for 28 committees? Uh, who's going to serve on those 28 committees? Um, and so there was always an expectation that the mayor would have input. And if you look at the final plan that the council and the mayor have landed on together, because mm-hmm. we landed on this together, it happened because of ongoing discussions and collaboration between right. council leaders and the mayor. If you look at that plan, this is 80 percent of what the council proposed in terms of who's in leadership positions, in terms of who's leading what committee, in terms of the equity and the parity that's evident in the structure. Yeah. Um, so so I'm really proud of of just how quickly we've been able to come together with the mayor to move forward a plan that's in the best interest of everyone.
0: Well, inauguration is five days away. Sounds like you're all set to hit the ground running with the new administration.
1: Well. We, we have to be set to hit the ground running because there are so many crises, the migrant crisis, yeah. uh, public safety, um, you know, making sure that we are putting our youth to work. Um, these are major issues that are facing our city. Uh, and I know that the Mayor-Elect Transitions team and all of my colleagues have just been working around the clock to make sure that come May 15th, we're in a really strong place to start leading and to start solving these issues.
0: We'll leave it there. Alderman Carlos Ramirez-Rosa represents Chicago's 35th Ward. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you. That episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Michael Liptrot and edited by Ethan Schwab. WBEZ's politics reporters are keeping Chicago up to date as we get ready to usher in a new mayoral administration. Read and listen to all of our great coverage on WBEZ.org. That's it for this podcast episode. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening.